0: Hello everyone. Welcome to On Resistance Radio. We are in the studio today, KPFK 90.7 FM, with some guest poets. Would anyone like to introduce themselves?
1: I'm Cynthia Guardado, and I'm a Salvadorian-American poet from Ingoid, California, and my work focuses on social justice, trauma, violence against women. I'm here to talk about that.
2: (laughs) Hi, my name is Katie Smizer. I'm from Tahunga originally, now I live in El Sereno, and uh, my poetry typically tends to focus on ghosts, loss, sadness, and mean cute girls and cute mean cats,
3: neither of which will text me back. Hey, I'm Amanda Wang. I was born and raised in the California sunshine. I have roots in Taipei and Nanjing, and I write Uh, poems to try to honor my heritage and answer questions about identity and what it means to date outside of your quote-unquote community. This kind of
0: came together with a conversation about uh, poetry, the intersection with resistance, that means different things to different people, so whatever that brought up, and then if you, before reading anything,
1: if you want to talk a little bit about your process or anything you really want to share with the audience. So I've been working on my second manuscript right now, which is called Endeavor, Um, And it's about the process of surviving trauma, not just enduring trauma, which is that's what the endeavor is. It's the survival portion of it. I'm typically inspired by things that happen in my own life and my community or things that I feel are currently social issues. My process is emotion driven, (laughs) right? So I write when um, those moments or those ideas are, are just like throbbing inside of me where I have to
2: write it all down. I would say my process is somewhat similar in that it always starts with a nugget of emotion, typically one with um, a a sort of sadness on the sadness spectrum, just that's how I've dealt with a loss in my life. And I think that poetry can be so healing and there's a certain reclamation of power that comes when you write your own experience. So whenever I'm feeling disempowered or that there's um, a certain rage and something I need to voice. I will write it out first, and then through the performance of it is a very healing process.
3: I think what usually helps me get into a headspace for writing is reading. So I feel like I couldn't really talk about my writing without honoring the writers that have contributed to making my sort of literary DNA. The poem that I want to read wouldn't be possible without the influence of Juno Diaz and Warsonshire. I think I like to follow in the tradition of Sandra Cisneros and write about what it means to try to do a very normal person thing like date while you live and exist in a society in which everything is racialized and gendered. So I want to give room if people want to respond to each other throughout,
1: if there's anything that came up. I did want to say, in reference to what Amanda said, I think reading is at the core of my inspiration as well. There's books that, for weeks at a time, will not leave my bag, and I take everywhere I go with me. Right now, one of those books is um, Danette Smith's book, Insert Boy, and I've been carrying that around with me everywhere, and he he's a queer black male from the Midwest, and he writes from all these different angles um, in his book and separated into all these parts, and Currently, that's something I've been really inspired by, and he's only 25, (laughs) so it's pretty amazing.
2: I also agree with that, the notion of being very aware of your ancestors, either literary or those in your history. I remember the first time I read This Bridge Called My Back was the, for me, uh, feminism is so interconnected with poetry and my personal experience, and that's just an arena where the personal is political and we really give word to our trauma and our survival and recognize each other in that. So I think keeping in mind those who've come before you is very important. When I read This Bridge Called My Back, it was the first time that I had read words by Japanese-American women who were speaking about the Japanese-American experience. my family was interned in World War II and nobody ever spoke about it. It was just an un, it was never mentioned. And to h- see women reclaim that and speak forcefully on it was very empowering and informed the way that I spoke to my aunts and the elders in my family. So I think that um, poetry really does speak to you through the ages and genealogies, and it's important to keep that in mind.
3: Uh, Definitely. You know, I just read This Bridge Called My Back for the first time last year, Katie. And what struck me about it was that even though it's um, an anthology from the 80s, uh, it feels like it wants to answer questions that we're still asking today. So we like to think we've made a lot of progress, and we have. And yet at the same time, I feel like for uh, this anthology with women from so many different communities coming together, it's also, it just strikes me as something from the future, not the past, because I feel like solidarity is something we really struggle with nowadays. Like Juno Diaz recently said in an interview that we're creating territories when we should be building bridges. And I guess that ties very neatly together, and I didn't intend that. (laughs) No, very nice.
0: A couple things that were said that I have felt like reading things and them them kind of being energetic and beyond time and, and location, kind of connecting with parts of ourselves that maybe aren't reflected in, in the world and the environment, and then connecting with other people through the things that we read. And then also when we're talking about poetry being like an emotional process, I think there's a lot of other literary traditions that, don't as honestly and openly say that and that there's a lot of trends in the dominant power structure that tell us that we can't have emotion inform our work or our process or our relationships. Yeah, I
1: don't know if people want to transition into sharing things or if there's more to conversate on. I just want to say about that emotion part, um, I think that that as women or women identified, there is an inherent emotional quality about us as beings um, and that we allow ourselves to feel it, or or it's not necessarily allowing ourselves. It's like we do feel it, right, in a lot of ways. Um, and I think, um, you know, we all met in the Las Lunas Locas writing circle. Um, and at the time that I started attending Las Lunas Locas, I didn't really realize how radical, feminist, women of color my writing was. <laughs> And it was when I was finally in a circle with women and women identified people that I felt like, wow, this I'm a I'm a kind of a feminist writer from this Latina perspective. And so I think that that's kind of where all my new work is sort of going and trying to position myself as a strong, empowered, ambitious um, Latina who's a writer and trying to resist and make change, right? Um, because there are so many cultural misogynistic um, factors that are affecting like every aspect of my life. And so all my work right now is really dealing with a lot of these facets and how they are related to my culture or to my um, Salvadorian or american right?
2: And as Cynthia mentioned, we all met in Las Lunas Locas. It's a collective of women identified poets or writers who just get together once a week on Monday and we just get in a circle and write about whatever is prescient to us and that is definitely such a feminist space that speaking in the line of poetry as resistance it's a very powerful space for women who don't always get to speak their truths or aren't encouraged to be emotional they're fully supported and to see these women Um, evolve and blossom and sometimes cry and break down or just to hear applause after they've spoken their words. It's very powerful and it's transformative and you might have all of these ragey semi-political feelings that you don't articulate in your day-to-day but in poetry with other women it's to say it out loud you know that what you're doing matters and we hear you and that kind of support is so integral to what we do as a
3: writing group. It was very life-changing to have found Las Lunas Locas, or uh, rather I should say be introduced to Las Lunas Locas, because writing is a very solitary act, or it can be, but when you're together in a group with the Lunas, it's it's a collective act. And I guess I just didn't realize before I was introduced to the group that um, the people that I were writing for were already out there and not too far out of reach, really.
0: Thank you for, uh, yeah, talking a little bit about that experience and that collective. That's kind of what came to mind is, like, does it different when you are kind of in your own space? And because there's, like, the space and then there's the emotional space mm-hmm. to, like, write and to express and to kind of capture that expression. And then how does that change in, like,
1: a group or a collective space and then also, how is that structured, and how does that feel? I wrote a blog about my experiences in *Molesinosokus* and how I felt it related to me as a woman and as a writer, and it's on my WordPress, which is uh, cynthia.guardado.wordpress.com, and it really addresses kind of what happens in the circle and the energy of the circle and the things that transform or change for us while we're there. Um, because I have an MFA in creative writing from Fresno State and I'd never ridden with only women prior to arriving there, arriving to less us, and that's where I could really see the sharp contrast after three years of work, co-ed workshops, right, that were not necessarily extremely diverse either. There was a huge sharp contrast between what was happening in both of those spaces,
2: and one feels more safe. Certainly, the safety and the general sense of support is so integral to kind of the magic that happens with Las Lunas. I found Las Lunas when I moved to El Sereno after losing my family suddenly and I felt pretty orphaned and alone and all I could write was sad stuff. And I thought, nobody wants to hear sad stuff. It's not relevant to other people's lives. I attended Las Lunas for over a month before I spoke a word, but they were patient and they waited for me. And then when I was able to share I was validated, heard, supported, and they've become a second family to me, and they, their support has really meant the world, and I would not be writing today the way I do if, were it not for them.
3: I found out about Las Lunas Locas uh, through Carine, one of the founders of the Poetry Collective, and we met at VONA, Voices of Our Nation, which is co-founded by uh, Juno Diaz, And it's meant to be a sort of space or project that challenges the whiteness of MFAs, which I feel like is something that Cynthia was perhaps getting at. Uh, MFAs are very inaccessible, I think, to a lot of people because of cost. And it seems like the literary world, whether it's in a sort of university institution or a business-type institution is very much so still prone to replicating the toxic ideologies of our wider society. So it's sort of revolutionary for there to be spaces like Vona or Las Lunas Locas.
2: I think our um, membership pretty much runs the gauntlet, too, as far as young working moms to older retired artists, Um gender non-conforming individuals, queer individuals, individuals who have never written before at all. And that's kind of, I think, where the semi-political act of Lunas comes into play, where we're giving this space to whomever needs it.
0: There's certainly a lot of gatekeeping that happens around writing in certain spaces, like academic spaces, that teach us that writing has to happen a certain way. So it does sound like this is kind of a collective process that's kind of Breaking down the barriers of gatekeeping. How do y'all feel about reading some stuff? Feel free to explain it or talk about it or just let it sit with the audience, you know, however.
3: The poem I'd like to read today is called Mother Yehai and it's about my mother. Mother Yehai by Amanda Wang. When you are not clenched in the hand of your mystery illness, or weeping alone in fear of death. You are a shoeless child in the village. In an elementary school photo, black and white in the Chinese paper, your American daughter will see you had the same pseudo bowl cut you make her get as a child until she decides all through middle and high school she wants long hair because that's how girls look and what boys like before finding herself as a twenty-something that doesn't care that you think she's fat and cuts her hair short again, a bob like a flapper or dominatrix. You race past the shacks and shanties with the other children. We are looking for your cat. When you are twice the size you are now, still alive against all odds, even the professional wisdom of western doctors, You will tell your American daughter. When you first stepped off the plane, you could not believe how wide open the spaces, how big and tall the houses, and the cats, American cats, they are so fat. Your cat was black with a white tummy, and you did not know your cat ate a poisoned rat. You turn your head at a desperate familiar mule and charge at the shack where your cat cries out for you and get there just in time for your cat to roll off the makeshift roof, down into your arms, dead. And that, you tell your American daughter, is why you cannot bear having another pet. Thank you. Do you wanna tell us anything about the piece or are we Yeah. It's up to you. Do you wanna expand or Actually what came to mind was that I never learned how to snap my fingers. I'll be like golf clapping. <laughs> but I mean to snap.
0: And also we snap every now and then and then we've had people say, like, what is that awful clicking that <laughs> happened <laughs> on the radio show? We're just like, Oh no, we're just like snapping.
3: Okay. But we'll we'll keep it in. Yes, we we'll quit. keep it in so people know that we're snapping.
2: Okay, mine is a piece that I wrote in Les Lunas um, when we were discussing how false patriarchal concerns about the ladies uh, rub us the wrong way. (laughs) This is called Women and Children First. Women and Children First is an execution order. We are made to go down with ships that never let us earn stripes, though with teeth and nail we took our stars Swallowed them with glass and dust, growing secret seeds beneath skin and skull. Roots that will outlast the ships and stars and strikes and snarls. Shh, the moon is giggling. She knows, you know, she's waiting. Thank you. Amanda, do you want to snap?
3: Somebody snap for me. Ah, solidarity. (laughs) My
1: piece is titled, To All the Women You Say You Love. And I'll just go ahead and read it, and then maybe I'll say something after. To All the Women You Say You Love. The woman you penetrate is your sister. She is the one you follow with your eyes at the bar. The one your hands reach to grope. She is your daughter. The one you force open with your tongue, the edge of her mouth split like a rope after the noose is cut. After a few drinks, you'll deny how you touched her, how you begged her to come home with you. It will be in what happens later when you follow her into the aisles of a market, ask her over and over and over again to pay attention to you. You'll get close enough for her to feel your misogynistic breath. You'll whisper in her ear how you'd like to fuck her. She is your mother, every hole in her body forced open by the crown of your head, fists forced through like a rod hammered into the ground. I just want to talk a little bit about obviously this piece is really intense and deals with a lot of different things but my goal with the piece is to talk about all the violence all the different forms of violence and aggression that women face and how in many ways they're seamless and they're all connected to each other. Ever since I can remember men have been verbally assaulting me since I was at least 12 years old. It is that kind of treatment That seeps into all aspects of our society um, that eventually can become, you know, rape, molestation, uh, all this uh, sexual aggression that exists around women, how women are so often sexualized. So the piece ends with a vision of a mother because every man has one and a woman had to give birth to him, yet that respect for women isn't held. In aspects and all aspects of their life, and maybe not even to their mothers in many in many occasions, I'm trying to with that piece, put all these all these parts together about trauma um, and the daily traumas that women face in our society and other places in the world.
0: Thank you so much for sharing. It's kind of hard to follow up stuff like where you invite a lot of emotions into the space and then have to qualify it with words. So I do want to acknowledge that and give space to that. Um, But does anyone want to offer anything else? Any commentary or things that came up in this sharing
3: space? Well, uh, Cynthia, in your poem, I was struck by how I think one of your phrases was Uh, You said rod and hammered, and that makes me think of, like, how it's just really, like, accepted for, like, sex between, like, a cis man and a cis woman to be described as just extremely violent, like a rod, or, like, the action of it being hammered, and that's just so strange, and it's something that I've been interested in unpacking, and I feel like when it comes to sex and trauma... Most women, most queer folks, femme folks, there's a lot to unpack.
2: I really resonated with the line, ask her over and over and over again to pay attention to you, because even queer women have to deal with that. You cannot get your word across that this is not, both two aren't tangling here, and we don't want to continue this conversation, but you obviously do. Mm -hmm. And... I like that the rod hammered into the ground almost seems like progress, like a building, like man-made structures and such, and it's just the first
3: step towards building something. And I feel like when we talk about land or the earth, she's usually gendered as a woman, and so this could turn into a conversation about like environmental justice because we don't take care of her and we enact so much violence upon her. I think... Um in my process
1: through all these poems I've been working on I've been trying to understand cis male thinking that process allows me to reflect on the fact that how often are they trying to put themselves in the position of a woman who is experiencing all of these things in society many times you know in in extremely traumatic forms and so I think that's why I really wrote this piece and lately I've been reading it almost in many of the places I go to because it forces men to think about it. They are the center of this piece and to title it To All the Women You Say You Love really, really puts emphasis on having them reflect on their actions, their daily actions with all the different types of women in their lives that they may be interacting with. I'm still trying to work out, you know, those persona poems from, like, a male <laughs> machista perspective. They're a work in progress, but they're, they're there.
3: I like that, though, Cynthia. I f- you said you center a man's perspective in the poem, but you do it in such a feminist way. You're centering a man's perspective to get them to think about women, how they have toxic beliefs and ideologies and a sense of entitlement to women.
2: Can I ask, did you write that or start it in um, LUNAS?
1: No, I actually was in my community literature initiative class, which I've been Mm -hmm. taking on Monday nights for the past nine months, which is a a program that was started by Hiram Sims to help writers of color from the L.A. area create a book without having to go to an MFA program, without having to pay outrageous tuition. So I wrote it there in a free write we did.
2: I was just wondering, it, um, oftentimes in Lunas, I feel like when it's n- there aren't s- cis straight men in the room, sometimes women find words, enough space to say these words that they mm-hmm. didn't have before.
3: Definitely. Thank
0: you all so much for sharing the poetry and the process and going into kind of why, why the writing happens, why it's necessary. Any kind of closing comments you want before we wrap up?
1: just wanted to say that you know this piece that I wrote addresses a lot of taboo topics, and I hope that writers out there, especially women writers out there, women-identified writers are writing about these topics because we need to talk about them and listen to them and hear those stories.
2: I could not help but be reminded of Stacy Ann Chin's essay, Resistance Through Poetry, when we began talking about recording this. And uh, Stacy Ann Chin is a super rad Jamaican lesbian activist poet, who in her Resistance Through Poetry piece says, through this art of resistance, I understand that the world and all oppression is connected. And I feel that that's a really good way to sum up why poetry is such a broad and catch-all powerful medium to speak to and against oppression.
0: And is there any way that people who are listening today can read more of your poetry, more
1: of the work that you have, like maybe social media? I listened to my WordPress earlier, so you can pretty much just Google me, Cynthia Guardado, and it comes up. And you can also follow me on Instagram. I'm the guarded poet.
2: I am at waitwhatkate on all social media platforms and waitwhatkate.com. It's a
3: deaf joke. I'm deaf, in case that seemed inappropriate. I'm trying to get more social media type things up, but you can follow me on my Instagram. Uh, It's at renegade, you know, like renegade. With Jade. Okay. Uh, it's spelled R E N E J A Y D E. If you
2: are interested at all in joining a Las Lunas meeting every Monday at 7 30 at Here and Now on Huntington Drive, and it's at Las Lunas Locus on social media. To women, women identify. Oh, yes, to women and women identify. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for joining us. and Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to find uh, past shows, please visit our SoundCloud, www.soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. You can email us on resistanceradio at gmail.com with any questions. I think that's it.